Many a man claims to be something that in re- reality they may not be. Uh, we, the, we may be one of these people. Um, I know personally, before I was saved, before I understood um, who Christ is, um, I thought myself to be um, good and right with God, when in reality that was far from the case because I did not know Christ. In the world, we we hear of um, cowboy builders who claim to be expert builders, but when their work is observed more closely, or when after a short period of of time um, you look at what they have built, it's soon to be seen that it's a shambles and and can fall down. I'm sure if any of us here required um, a doctor or a surgeon, we would hope that there would be some form of certificate on their wall to show that and they have been um, been and, and done the course that is required of them, that they've um, studied, that they have passed, and that they have a qualification in the field. Because we won't want to be going to a doctor who claimed to be one, but in fact was not. So today we're going to look at a claim. A claim of what it means when we say that we love God, and how that can be a lie when we fail to love one another. So if we are claiming to love God, but fail to love one another, then the first cannot be true. Therefore, the title of today's sermon is, To love God is to love the brethren. We will see that claiming to love God whilst hating our brothers and sisters in Christ make us a liar. We will see why we are told and asked to to love one another. And then we will look at the relationship between loving Christ And that's showing itself in the believer's love for one another. So we now turn to um, the first epistle of John, chapter 4. And we're going to be, first of all, looking at verse 20. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So John here makes a clear statement. If a man says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. This is a big statement to make. But just before we look at this, we must also remember and take into account what we read in verse 19. We love him, that is Jesus, because he first loved us. John tells us that the only way we love God is because he has first loved us. This is true for every believer. All of us here who confess at Christ and love him do so because he has loved us first. We must remember this because we cannot come to the conclusion that if we, as brothers and sisters, love one another, that leads us to love God. It's the other way around. God loves us, we love God, and in turn, we will love the brethren. The fact that we can love at all Love God and the brethren is because of God's grace and mercy towards us. Loving the brethren is a result of being loved and loving God. And John here now gives us the test to see if what we do claim is in fact true. The test is being that if we actually hate and do evil to our brothers and sisters, then we at that moment are lying about our claim that we love the Lord our God. Previously, we have looked at what it means to love one another. Today, we will look at what it means to biblically hate one another. 
whilst at the same time claiming to love God. Obviously, in the context of this letter, if someone claims to love God but brings in the heresy what this church faced, which was denying the humanity of Christ, that is hating our brothers and sisters. First of all, those that bring in this heresy and trust in this heresy are not trusting in the true saviour. And they're in fact hating the, uh, the brethren. But possibly, possibly when John wrote this, this, this section here, he may have in fact had someone else in mind. If you just want to now turn with me to the third epistle of John, verse nine, um, to, verses nine to eleven. This is John writing again. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. So here we have a great example of what it means to claim to love God, but to hate the brethren. Diotrephes was a leader in the church. But first, we, we must understand what is the heart of Diotrephes? Well, clearly from just those few verses, we see it's a heart of selfishness. He wants preeminence. He seeks power and leadership because he wants to rule. This is selfish ambition. It goes completely against what Christ taught in Mark 9.35. Um, when he, and he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. This is the complete opposite to what we find here with Diotrephes. To hate the brethren is to put ourselves first and to seek our own power and our and, and authority and to rule. Therefore, any service will be tainted with the desire for ourselves. This ambitious Diotrephes was so bent on having power that he even rejected the Apostle John. And there we have another clue of what it is to hate. Rejecting the Apostle's teaching and keeping it from believers. This is what his desire was to do. So John was going to write to the church, had written to the church, but Diotrephes would not receive John. He would, would not have his teaching. There was no desire for truth from a good teacher, from the, um, the apostle John. There was only a desire for power and for rule. In verse 10, John tells Gaius that he plans to come and to bring, bring light on the deeds that Diotrephes is committing. He's going to remind them of his sin and hatred. This includes talking maliciously about John and the missionaries that John was sending. He was refusing to receive missionaries, and he even expelled from the church those who did receive and welcome the missionaries. So to hate the brethren is what we see here, is to bear false testimonies against them, to reject Christians who seek to bring the truth, and to remove people from the church who desire to welcome the Lord's missionaries. As we know, Biblical love is the manifestation of Christ at work in the Christian. Hatred towards the brethren is a manifestation of a self-seeking, self-serving heart. The heart 
that clearly Diotrephes has. Now, there is no comment really fully about the um, Diotrephes and, and the result of, of um, um, this confrontation. We pray that maybe he, he repented of his sins and was found to be a true believer who was sliding. Maybe he wasn't part of the brethren at all. And his lack of love showed that indeed he did not love God. But as John writes in his first epistle, um, Diotrephes, if we compare that, claimed to love God because he was a leader in the church. But when he behaved in this manner, he was lying. He could not love God if he was doing this to his brothers and sisters, if indeed he was a believer. But John then explains now how we can understand this statement that a man who claims to love God is a liar if he hates his brother. We see this in the second part of verse 20. For he that loveth not his brother whom he he hath seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So in our pitiful state of having a a want and a desire to to sin and to follow the the lust of the flesh, to love ourselves and, and not our God, we cease to remind ourselves of him. We do not have a constant reminder that we should love one another when we continually see one another. So when we gather like this on a regular basis, we should be reminded to always love one another. If we have brothers and sisters in Christ within our family and we see them each and every day, that is a reminder that we are to love one another because we we have that visible reminder. So we see one another, don't we, in our different stages of life. We see one another's joys, one another's difficulties. We have this constant reminder. Therefore, how can we say we love God when we do not physically see him, when we fail to love those who we do in fact see, who we are reminded of constantly? So there is a a slight change also in the second part of verse 20. The first part uses the phrase, hateth his brother. The second part states, loveth not his brother. John is suggesting here that a failure to love the brethren is also classed as hating the brethren. So hatred includes a failure to love rightly. And John builds on this view that we cannot love God if in fact we do not love one another. So we have what we call the sin of omission. To hate the brother is to not actively love them. James 4.17 Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. So if we are reading the scriptures, if we are praying and spending time with the Lord and we know what we are, are to do towards one another and fail to do it, if we are not actively loving when we know we should be, we are committing a sin of omission. And we see the sin of omission in, in one sort in the reactions of the Pharisees when Christ is healing on the Sabbath. The Pharisees claimed to love God, but they were angered when Jesus, God himself, healed and helped people. They appeared righteous on the outside, but as Christ stated, within they were full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. That is because they did not love. They did not love Christ, and the outward manifestation of that was that they did not love the others who claimed to believe in the same God that they claimed to believe in. They failed to keep the commandments of the Lord. They failed because they did not love. 
See, love is at the heart of the command of the commandments, as John states now when we get to verse 21. And the Lord said that, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So first, first of all, we'll start with verse 21, where we see we must love one another because God commands us to. This is the reason, one reason why we should love one another, because Jesus has commanded us to. Verse 21. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. So John speaks here of what Christ said to the lawyer in Matthew 22. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy, thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. And we should also bear in mind uh, what Jesus said in John thirteen twenty four. Jesus was speaking to his disciples, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So John is re-emphasizing this point to the church. He's re-emphasizing that there should be love, and that if there is no love, there's to be great concern, especially for those who claim to love God, but it is not visible in their love for one another. Now, John doesn't appeal to himself as lawmaker, but he appeals to Christ. This commandment isn't a pointless command either because it comes from the Lord. It isn't um, a legalistic one that, that John has made up. It is one that the Lord has given us. It is one that evidences the true standing of a person before God and their spiritual health at the time. Where there is the love of God, there will also be the love of one another. And this reveals that a person has been saved and is being sanctified by God. It gives us a picture of where they are before the Lord. So when a person is saved by faith in Jesus Christ, there will be a desire to keep that command. And this is something we must ask ourselves right now. Are we loving one another as we should? Are we loving the Lord by keeping his command to love one another? This command alone should should be enough for us to hear and to want to follow. For our loving Saviour has suffered and died for us and demands this from us. This should bring about a desire to seek to to keep this command. But we know we still have these fleshly desires. And within us, the ability to cease to love one another but also to actively harm and hate one another. We see this in the scripture when James writes in chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. From whence come wars and fightings amongst you? Come they not hence even your lusts that war in your members? James here is showing that even in the church, even with believers, there are times of of, of war, of quarrelling. And we do evil because we have fleshly desires. We war and do evil to one another because we love ourselves more than we love Christ. We lie when we cause strife towards one another whilst claiming to love God. And at the same time, and in uh, doing this, we fail to keep, keep the commands of Christ, which is to love God and to love one another. 
And I can give you uh, a true example. I, I recently read earlier this week. It wasn't. I wasn't even uh, looking for it in in the research for the sermon. It was just something um, that that came to my attention. There was an incident in a church in the U.S. After a sermon, um, the preacher and a member of the church had got into a heated discussion, one that escalated and really should have taken place in private. And it escalated into a full-blown argument where pride was at the forefront and not love. This was a failure to love one another. And again, when we fail to love one another, it showed here that this was a failure to love the Lord. And this was visible to all the church. However, we must remember we have a very gracious and merciful God. And thankfully, that account doesn't end there. That wasn't the end of what had occurred. The following Sunday, after searching the Lord through the week, meeting with one another, repenting, loving the Lord rightly, and by the grace of God, with the Holy Spirit working in and through them, the two men stood together and apologised to one another and to the church. Right there, by the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word, these men loved the Lord and loved one another. And this was clear to see. And And an additional blessing there was that there was a witness to, to this event who was a non-believer. They had attended the church that Sunday for the first time and witnessed what it meant to repent, to turn to Christ, to love one another and to love the Lord, even when that had failed the week before. Now also in this verse, we have the emphasis on loving God first, exactly the same as we did in verse 20, and also what Christ said in Matthew. We cannot love one another and then love God. It doesn't work like that. The love of one another proceeds from, first of all, the Lord loving us, or seeking to love him in return, and by seeking to keep his commandments, which is to love one another. And this is the case because, in reality, in truth, God is the only one who is truly lovable. Not one of us here is truly Lovable in the sense that none of us are perfect. None of us are without sin. We do horrible things. We say horrible things. We think horrible things. There are many reasons why we are not lovable. But the Lord has had his work in us. The Lord has commanded us to love one another. Therefore, we should seek to obey obey this command. And John then builds on this view of keeping the Lord's command and he gives us another reason why we are called to love one another. And we see this in the next verse, in in chapter 5, verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. John now outlines what a believer is. And now... and how they should live in light of this face that, that they have been given as a gift. And they should live by loving those who also know Jesus, who believe in Jesus, and seek to glorify him. So John outlines what those who claim to have faith in Christ should believe, and this is a key factor. They are to believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ born of God. They are to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one. 
A believer is to know and to confess that he is the saviour who was promised to us in the garden after Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree and sin had come into the world. To believe that Jesus is the Christ is to believe he's a great prophet revealed to Moses in Deuteronomy 18. To believe in Christ is also to know that he's the great priest as shown to us in Psalm 110 and Hebrews 7 which we studied recently in the midweek Bible study. We're to believe that Jesus, who is the great priest, is himself the sacrifice, the only sacrifice that can atone for our sin. To believe that Jesus is the Christ is also to believe that he is the great king that Paul speaks of in 1 Timothy. The king whose commands we are called to follow. And those commands are to love God and to love one another. John Gill puts it like this. He, he states what, this, what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. True faith in him as the Messiah is a believing with the heart unto righteousness. Or a looking to and trusting in the righteousness of Christ for justification. And a dealing with his blood for pardon and cleansing. Under a sense of guilt and filth. And a laying hold of his atoning sacrifice for the expiation of sin and peace with God. So to believe in Jesus, to trust in him as our our Christ, as our Lord and Saviour, is to know and to trust that when we have faith in him, we are clothed by his righteousness. Our guilt and filth have been washed away and cleansed by his blood. The just and right judgment that should be placed on us was placed on Christ on the cross. And our sins were dealt with. We were once separated from God, but through Christ and faith in him, we now have peace with God. This is what it means to know Christ and to believe that Jesus is the Christ born of God. So those who confess and are true believers who have been saved by Christ, the great prophet, priest and king, are to love those who also believe and confess this truth. Why? Because of the things we've already stated. We are commanded to. But also, how could we not when they abide in Christ and he in them? So when we look at one another, when we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to see what Christ has done in us and realise that he has also done this in them. He has loved them dearly. He's given his life for them. And from here we, we look to Matthew 25 where Christ speaks of his second coming, how he will separate the sheep from the goats. To the sheep he will lead them to the kingdom that they will inherit. That's because they have faith that they were given as a gift and it's being revealed in their actions. Jesus said this, For I was hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it to me. So when we care and love one another, We are caring and loving towards Christ. 
An individual in Christ is part of the family of God. They are precious because they are of Christ. And they are to be honoured because Christ gave his life for them. How can we say somebody, we should not love somebody and we should actively hate them or, or say they are defiled or filthy when Christ has declared them clean and righteous? How can we hate and not love those who Christ has loved and saved? We should love one another because Christ abides in all of us. All of us who have that faith and believe that Jesus is, is the Christ and is born of God. Now John moves from giving us the reasons why we should love one another back to the observable evidence that Christ has had in, sa- in his saving work and that is now being shown in the hearts of all believers. Verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Evidence of a changed heart will be seen when someone loves God and keeps his commandments. Not only that, John adds more to this point by stating that those commandments will not be grievous. The commands to love God and love one another will not be burdensome, taxing or heavy. In verse 2, John shows us that in order to love the children of God, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we must first love him. As mentioned earlier, This is the only right order. We cannot love each other if we do not love God, if we do not love him first. For out of our love of God do we desire to do his will, which is to love one another. To love God is to realise who he is and believe what he has done for us by crucifying Christ on the cross for our sins. We've been set free from the curse of the law, condemning us to eternity in hell. And we are free from the ceremonial law now it is abolished in Christ. Therefore, our natural response is love when we have received the gift of faith. This is the Holy Spirit at work in us. So from that position of love to God, we seek to keep the commandments to love one another. We do this, not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord through his means of grace. That is the reading of his word, prayer, communion, fellowship, all and, and being under the preaching of his word. This is having fellowship with Christ. Our hearts are being orientated more and more towards God. And this will increase the more and more we spend with him. The best illustration I could give is probably one of um, a shooting range, which I went to recently. You walk in and immediately you see and can tell who the seasoned shooters are. They have their weapon on them. They know how to handle it. They know every part of their of their rifle. They use it on a regular basis. They gather together and help one, one another out. They use their knowledge to bless one another. And when they aim and shoot at these targets, there's a piece of card with, a tar- with several targets on each. They hit the target every time. Some closer than others, but as always, there will be the slight miss now and again. Now the targets, so on the piece of card, the the targets are about this big. Um, And it goes from one on the outside to nine in the centre. Now those who, who visit frequently, who are the seasoned shooters, will get the centre quite often 
but as I said, there will be the occasional miss. Now, everybody there wants the best for each other. They're all on the same team, and they are guiding and helping one another. The newbies like myself get a mentor who explains what it means to fire a rifle. So first of all, they give you this jacket that feels uncomfortable, and you're not sure how to put it on or, or what it's for. Then they explain that it helps you to support the rifle. They hand you this rifle, you load a, um, a round in, and then you realise how sensitive the trigger is when you fire without even meaning to. Uh, it's, nowhere near, uh, it's nowhere near the card or a target, and you're just thankful that you've not taken somebody out in your zeal for um, firing this, this weapon. But they teach you, you realise your mistake and you shoot again. And over the course of 13 rounds, you get closer and closer to the target. And it's like our walk. At times, we can be zealous and, and wanting, but we need care, we need to love one another. When we seek to love one another, our, our first attempt may be way, way off, but the desire is there. But as we mature, as we build one another up, our aim will get closer and closer. And we will do, through the grace of God, we will get closer to the target of what it is to love one another. So the more we handle the word of God, the more we know how to live for him. The time we spend in fellowship and building one another up in Christ, the closer we get to loving one another. However, unlike the rifle range, our ability of how we do well is not down to us. It's down to the Holy Spirit who dwells in us who builds our faith through the means of grace. So when we love, however imperfectly that may be, God gets all the glory because it is him working in us. So when we come to love one another, we search the scriptures and we find in Paul's letter to the Corinthians in his first letter in chapter 13, verse 4, what that looks like. Charity. By that, he's speaking of the agape love. That is love. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. This is how we love. If we claim to love God, this is how we should live in evidence of that claim. And we throw ourselves before the feet of our, our merciful and loving God and ask him to have his work in us so that we can love one another in this way. So our call is to be long-suffering with one another. So when we come together with the aim of loving the Lord, we should seek to love one another. We should bear with one another. Because we, we are difficult to be around at times. There are things that may be going in in our lives, sins that we are committing, but we are to bear with one another, to seek to support and to love one another. We are to be kind. We are to not envy. We are to support one another in our walk with the Lord. There will be no arrogance in us, for we are totally dependent on the Lord for this. So we know life is hard and messy, either because we sin and make a mess of things, or we have been sinned against. Both lead to pain and suffering. So let us endure one, another diff- one another's difficulties. Let us encourage one another constantly, pointing each other to Christ. We are to apologise to one another when we sin and cause harm. And we are to forgive one another when forgiveness is asked of us. Now the only way loving one another is done is through abiding in Christ. 
For it is Christ who brings peace. Peace between ourselves and God and peace between brethren when we seek to keep his commands, which is done through the work of the Holy Spirit and through the administration of the means of grace. Therefore abide in Christ, for where we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us, we will find love and affection. So to those whom he loves and he has saved, his love will be visible and the world will know that we are his disciples and he will have the glory. Amen. We're now going to sing um, Psalm number one to one. We'll be singing all the verses, verses one to eight. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen.